walk and to live in the Spirit. So I want to talk about that a little bit tonight from maybe a little bit of a different angle. Uh, but before that, I'd like to pray and thank all of you who were part of the prayer meeting in Plymouth uh, last Tuesday night. Just a phenomenal prayer meeting that has touched a lot of people's lives and continues to do so throughout the nation even now. Thank you for those who came in and prayed with us and believed God with us for a spiritual awakening for this nation at this time. I don't think there's anything more critical uh, for our generation right now than to see a spiritual awakening. I'd like you to turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. If you have any kind of a Bible or device that you can follow along this evening, I'm going to be reading from verses uh, 17 of chapter 1 to the verse, uh, chapter 2 and verse 1. But let's pray together before this. So, Father, thank you. Thank you, my God, for the anointing of your Holy Spirit. Oh, Lord, if you don't build a house, our labor is in vain. You have to build this testimony in this generation in each of our lives, individually and collectively as we meet as your people. And so, Lord, we just simply bring ourselves to your throne tonight and we acknowledge, Lord, that your word is a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. So would you help us tonight to embrace your word? Would you help us to learn what it means to walk in the Spirit? Would you give us great grace, my God, to be able to understand, to lay hold of your word and to rise up out of the ashes, Lord, of whatever our lives might be at this time and to see a temple built that will bring glory to your name. So, Father, we thank you for this tonight. Thank you, my God, for the wonderful worship tonight. Thank you for the hope that you give in the midst of a despairing time in our world and in our society. Lord, you're the hope of our life. You're the song of our heart. You're the light in our eyes. God, you're the bounce in our step. You are everything. You're all in all. As Paul once said, in, in you we live and move and have our being. Oh, God, I pray tonight, let every person lay hold of this great truth, Lord, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Oh, God, let it be. Let it not be just words on a page tonight, but I do pray for every person. I, I lift up those that are in despair tonight, those who, who don't see a way forward. They feel like their life is a waste. They, they wonder if they'll ever get out of the imprisonment of their situation. My God, I pray tonight that you would lift up, Lord, your church, your people, your bride. It's of no honor to you, Lord, to have a beat-up bride in this world. God, at this time, Lord, fight for your bride, fight for your church, Lord, and lift her up out of the ashes, God, and make us a radiant people at this time and for this generation. Lord, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 17, right through to chapter 2, verse 1. This is the prayer of the Apostle Paul for you and for me. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling and what are the riches of the glory of of his inheritance in the saints. In other words, God has called you and me for a specific purpose on the earth through which his name will be brought to glory. And he doesn't ask us to do this in our own strength. He's given us an incredible treasure in a sense of life that every purpose that he has for us might be accomplished. 
Verse 19 says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? He has given us what we need to do the work he's called us to do, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality, power, and might, and dominion, and every name that is named. He's above depression tonight. He's above suicidal thoughts. He's above captivity. He's above a sorrow of heart or hopelessness. Whatever name tries to name itself over you, Jesus Christ sits above that name. Not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he's put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. In other words, he has a body on the earth. We are that body and in which he has deposited this incredible life and light of his presence and this wonderful victory that comes with power. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, elsewhere in the scriptures, it tells us that the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also quicken our mortal bodies and bring us into this newness of life, this, this place that only God can take us into. And so I want to ask you a question tonight. What is going on in your church? And this is a, this is a question that's trickier than it seems because a lot of people are asking this question at this time, especially those who are living outside of hope. And maybe they're looking at you and they know that you are a believer in Christ at least you profess to be, and they ask you just a simple question. So what's going on in your church? What does your church look like? And what goes on there? Now, some would reply and they would say, well, my church, uh, the services are too long. Some would say they're too short. Some others would say they're just right. Some would say, well, my church is good worship. And some, someone else would say, in my church, there's, there's no worship. And somebody else would say, well, my church, the worship is too fast or it's too slow. Others would say, well, my church is a friendly church, it's a cold church, or it's an aloof church. And in light of the coronavirus situation that we're facing in the world today, quite often I, I would suppose that the answer would often be, well, my church is open or my church is closed. That's the way people see it. Church is either open or it's closed. But I want to suggest to you tonight that there's a, there's a fundamental flaw in all of the answers I've just given you. Because you haven't answered the question. The question is what goes on in your church. Now, what you have just done is you have answered uh, the question about the place where the church meets. You've actually answered the question about a building. You see, God doesn't dwell in physical buildings anymore. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that you are the, now the temple of God. You are actually the church. Remember, you are the church. You are his body. He's the one who fills all in all, and, and we are called his church on the earth. As a matter of fact, let me just read it to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19, where Paul says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Do you not know that you are the church? Do you understand that church, the church comes together into a building, Generally, it's been in our society on Sunday or maybe some gathering in the midweek times, Wednesday or Tuesday night, whatever your case is of, 
of the particular building where your church, the church meets that you're part of. It's the church is the body of believers in Jesus Christ. You are the church of Jesus Christ. The glory of God resides in you. And as, as the church of Jesus Christ, we simply come together once a week to just give thanks, to worship God, to encourage one another, to, 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 that our lives are just an absolute expression of, of thankfulness for what Jesus Christ is doing for us. What he's, that's why we can even present our petitions with thanksgiving when we come together into the building as the church to worship our God and to encourage one another and to exhort one another to, as the scripture says, to love and good works and even so much more as the day grows darker all around us. And so many people confuse the building with the church. The building is just a building. The building can be taken away, but the church can't be taken away. I am the church. You are the church. God does not, there's a, we have a building here, Times Square Church. We have a theater on Broadway, right? But I'm telling you, when we're not there, the church is not there. It's just a building. That's all it is. We are the church. We meet in the building. And so here's the, uh, let me give you an Old Testament example of what, what this should look like, the, uh, being the church. Now, there was this, this ruler, she's called the Queen of Sheba. And she has the best that this world can offer. I mean, she's got, she's got a palace, no doubt. She's got power. She's got servants. She's got cupbearers. She has all of this stuff because she's the queen of an empire. But she heard of a place where there was something that this world cannot produce. You see, no matter, no matter who's got what in this world, if they haven't got Christ, you have something inside of you that they can't produce it. There's a life there that they can't imitate. There's a, they can give their best, but it will always fall short of the glory of God. So the queen of Sheba, she came to the place where Solomon was and to the temple that Solomon had built. And the scripture says it this way in 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. When the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of the waiters and their apparel, his cupbearers and his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. You see, what she encountered is something that can't be done by man. It can only be done by God. She encountered wisdom that humankind doesn't have. No matter how much they study, there's a wisdom that God gives that can only come from God. When she had seen the wisdom of Solomon. You see, as, as the people of God, we are promised a new mind. We are promised a new tongue. We are promised new speech. We, we start speaking about things that this world knows nothing about. And when the Queen of Sheba had seen this wisdom that God had planted in this man, the house he had built, in other words, it, the house he had built was a place of sacrifice where we live, in a sense, not for ourselves, but we live for the benefit of others. See, the world can't, some maybe can try, but the world essentially can't do that. The people who don't know God, the people who have a, a physical body, but the Spirit of God is not dwelling in this earthly temple. They, they can't fully be given because there's a measure of selfishness in the human heart that no amount of human effort can ever escape its confines, its walls that are all around it. When she saw this, this place of worship, this place of prayer, this place of sacrifice, when she saw the food on his table, this, this provision that God provides, that this world can grow food, I suppose, and can 
put some kind of wisdom on the table, but nothing like God gives. Matter of fact, he told King David, <laughs> I set a banquet table before you even in the presence of your enemies. You can sit down, you can feast at this table. When she saw the seating of his servants, the, the service of his waiters and their apparel and his cupbearers, when she saw like everything around them seemed to be moving with a divine order. I had a man one time visit this, this church and he was um, uh, involved in a university, a major university, and he wasn't a, a believer in Christ. And we were walking around and we, you know, for me it was just an ordinary day looking at staff here at Times Square Church and what they do and how they do it. We stopped outside the elevator and he said, how do you do this? He said, everybody in this place is, is just moving. He said, there's, a, there's a, an attitude here that I don't see in the university that I'm, I'm a significant part of. And he said, everybody seems to know what they're doing and they seem to have a, a happiness about doing it. And I said, well, what you're looking at is the Spirit of God. It's not the organization of man. You see, God's Holy Spirit inside the people is telling them what they're to do. And most, if not all, do it with all of their heart. And what you're seeing is, is so here's a man who's involved deeply in the university, and he's not, they have a budget that's probably way beyond ours, but they can't produce anything like the Spirit of God can produce. That really is the point. And lastly, she saw his entryway by when she went up to the house of the Lord. When she saw it, the Scripture says there was no more spirit in her. She just is, is a, the way he walked into the presence of God. The, the reverence maybe he had for God, the, the countenance that was on him, the way, the way he approached the work, the things that he was given to do on the earth, at least in his initial years, what she witnessed was something that she knew that with all the money and all the power and everything she had as the queen of an entire country, she could not imitate this. She could not fake it. There was something there that could only come from God. And so taking this Old Testament example, we now ask the question, what do people see when they come to your church? You see, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. This Solomon's temple, you now are. You are this place of worship. You are this place of sacrifice. You are the church of the living God. Christ dwells in you. If you're a believer in Christ, you have the power of the Holy Spirit inside this earthen vessel. And everything the Queen of Sheba saw in Solomon's temple, people should be able to see in you through Christ. The same Spirit that was in that temple is now in you. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is now in you. Oh, Paul said that your eyes could be opened, that you could see the exceeding greatness of the power of God, that you could understand His love for you that passes all understanding and knowledge, that you could, you could finally lay hold of the reality that He is the head, He is above every name that is named. You are His body on the earth, and He is the one who fills all in all. Oh, that you could be quickened who were once dead in trespasses and sins who once walked according to the, as the scripture goes on to say, that the, the spirit of disobedience that now operates in the, the children of this world. Oh, that you could see that you are the temple of the living God. You, I mean, you, tonight I'm talking to people, you consider yourself a drug addict or maybe a loser in society. I don't know what you consider yourself, but that's not what you are if you're a believer in Christ. You are the temple of the living God. God. 
And I do believe it's time that people started living in the reality of who we really are. I'm not speaking to you about some pipe dream that's unattainable. This is a reality. This is who you are with the Spirit of God in your life. So when people come to your church, I'm talking about you. When they come to you, they're actually coming to church. You are the temple of the living God. You, they, coming towards you, they are the Queen of Sheba, in a sense, coming to where God is, coming to this temple she heard about, coming to this place where she heard there was a, a wisdom that was beyond the wisdom of her own experience and her own kingdom. Oh, yes, people are looking. When you profess to be in relationship with God, you, you better believe they, they'll come to you and they're going to be asking questions. Matter of fact, the Apostle Peter said, you and I are to be ready to give an answer. In this generation in particular, when people ask you and I for a reason for the hope that is in us. And if they haven't asked yet, trust me, they're going to ask very, very shortly. This world is devolving now very, very quickly into a despair, into a darkness. And you and I are the last and best hope for everyone who is looking for a way out, looking for a future, looking for a hope through a relationship with God. So I have a couple of questions for you. What's going on in your church? So when people come to you as the temple of the living God, what do they see? Number one, are the lights on? <laughs> Can they see Christ in you? Are the lights on? Or is it a dark place where they have to try to feel their way around? You say you know God, but they can't really see, so they got to kind of feel along the walls and, and try to guess where God is, if He is even in the place. Can they, can, they, can they see Christ in you? Have you allowed Him to be the center core of your heart? Have you laid hold of His love for you? Have you laid hold of His power and His desire to give you all you need to fulfill the calling that He's placed on your life? Can they see Christ in you? I may, may I put it this way too. Can you see them when they come? Are, are, are we so engrossed in our problems and our struggles and trials that you just don't see that your name is already written in God's book of life? Heaven is already going to be your home. Is it so dark in your temple that you, you can't even see the people that are outside looking to you, looking to find oil in your lamp so you can show them the way to eternal life? How about at the door of your temple? Is there a warm greeting there? Is there a smile? Is there a handshake? Are people welcome in your temple? Or is it aloof? Is it cold? Is, is, it, is, it, a, is it a church in a sense that really has no attraction? Are, are you allowing the love of God to be shed abroad in your heart for people? Is, what's the worship like in your church? You know, are, uh, are, you, are, you, are you dependent on circumstance to worship God? Are, does the band have to strike the right note? Or do you have a song in your heart? Is there something in there, you know, that, that melody that's just part of your life? I remember one time I was, I was walking to, to the church. I'd taken the train in from New Jersey, and I got off at Penn Station. And I had to walk all the way from 32nd, I think it was 34th, all the way to the church. And it was a nasty day. The people were really, really nasty. They were, there's a lot of cursing going on on cell phones. Everybody is looking like they're going to run you over if you get in their way on the sidewalk. And in the middle of it all, a song, a song just came to my heart. And I started singing out loud. You can do that in New York City. People don't even, they don't even pay attention to you. So I just started singing out loud. And, and by the time I, I got to the church, I, I, I got a hold of Greg because I had written a whole song called I Walk in the Presence of God. And we've sung it here several times over the years in the church. And 
You see, what's, what's the worship like in your church? Is, 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 is there a song there? Are, are you making melody in your heart to the Lord? Uh, do, do you have this, this inner rejoicing? I'm not suggesting it's there all the time, but the song is there quite often. And even in the worst of times, there's a song that comes up inside this church. In your church, is there, is there a good word? Is the word clear? Can people actually find direction from the word in your church, this temple? Do you have a clear presentation of the gospel? Uh, can you clearly explain the way to salvation to people? Can they find hope? Is your speech, are you involved in the negative discourse of our time, the cultural discourse or the political discourse, or are they, is there a good word there? Are your words seasoned with salt? Are they filled with grace? Do they, do they, do they stir a longing in the heart of the hearer for something that you have that, that they know they need in their hearts? What, what kind of word is in your church? And can people find God there? And can they pour out their heart there? Is there time for people at your church? Or are, are you just busy? Busy and engrossed in the everyday affairs of life? And when people come to your church, uh, does everything just stop for them? Do they matter? Is there a heart for them? You see, your church can't be these things. The, your temple of the Holy Spirit can't be like this unless it's a supernatural place. See, that's the point. That's what I've been saying from the beginning. That's why Paul says that God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give to you the spirit of revelation and, knowledge, and wisdom and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you could know the exceeding greatness of his power. You could understand that everything he is and does is far above all power and principality and might and dominion, that every name is in subjection to him. Everything is under his feet. He's the head of the church, which is you, his body. He's the one, the fullness of him who fills all in all, and he has made you alive who were dead in trespasses and sins by giving you that inward presence of his Holy Spirit when you came to Christ as your Lord and Savior. We're no longer dead. Our, our church is no longer dead. Our worship is no longer dead. Our word is no longer dead. The lights are now on. People can find Christ inside of us. Let me close with this scripture in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, where Paul says that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through by his Spirit in the inner man, that he would grant you, that you would understand, that you would see, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. In other words, God loves you so much, it's in his heart to give these things to you. You don't have to beg him for it. He died to give it to you. He died to raise you up from death. He died so that you might be his church. He died to put the lights on in your temple. He died to give you a new heart, a new mind, and a new spirit. He died to give you new wisdom. He died to give you things that you could never do in your own strength. He died to make you as supernatural as Solomon's temple was. The people of this world, no matter how good they think they've got it, would hear the report of what God is doing in you, and their breath would be taken away as they see 
this divine ability that's given to you, this mind that's given to you, this ability to do things that you can't do in your own strength, and you know it, and God knows it, and they know it. And to know this love of Christ that passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You don't have to prove anything to God for Him to do this. He loves you so much. He holds it in His hand. And even tonight, He's waiting to give it to you. It's so strange. Knowing these things, we, we draw back with such a deep reluctance. And when we draw back our, our church, our church, our body, our temple, it becomes a place that's dark and cold. And it's strange, isn't it? When, when it's not God doing any of this, He's got his, still got His hands out. He's still, the Scripture says, when He rose from the dead, He took captivity captive and what? Gave gifts unto men. I mean, it's there. It's in His hands. It's, it's for you. It's for you. I'm talking to you tonight, sitting on the couch, depressed. I'm talking to you that feels like you have no hope, you have no future. You, you feel like you're the, the biggest loser to ever inherit the kingdom of God. You're so wrong about who you are because that's not who God calls you. It's not what He sees you. Now, here's my final two verses. Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Now I want you to think about these verses. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to Him, that's Jesus Christ, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all, all that you could ask tonight, all that you could think or hope or dream for or believe for, He's able to do above and beyond all these things by His Spirit, by His power that is already resonant within these earthen bodies. Then he finishes in verse 21 by saying, To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. So this wasn't just for a few people in the beginning. It wasn't for a few people maybe a hundred years ago. This wonderful walk in the Spirit is yours, and it's yours today if you want it. All you have to do is ask. All he ever required of you is to believe that he's good and that he wants to give it to you. You don't have to beg Him for what He died to give you. I want to say that again. You don't have to beg God for what He died to give you. It's in His heart. Oh, that you could understand this love of God that passes knowledge. So tonight, one more time, I'm calling you. Just as when Jesus walked through this world, it was the lame the maimed, the oppressed, the poor, the marginalized, the nothings, the nobodies of society that kind of crawled through the crowd to touch the hem of his garment, that yelled out to him from the side of the road. And if you read the, the account of Christ in the Gospels, he never turned away from a single voice that was asking him for the things that only he could give. And you'll see the, the lame man leaping in the temple and giving glory to God. You'll see the leper coming back and falling at his feet to praise him. You see the former prostitute falling at his feet and washing his feet with her tears and drying them with her hair. You, you see these, these temples of worship, these places, these testimonies of God's grace that we still talk about even today. But it's not just for them, it's for you too tonight. You see all of the, 
All of what we do, all of everything we say this evening is, is to no avail if you're not willing to, to rise up and, and lay hold of it for yourself. And what do I have to do, you say? Nothing. Just believe. Nothing. Like a little child at Christmas time, just, just run under the tree and open the gifts. Jesus Christ died on the tree to give you a new life and give you a new heart and give you a new mind and give you a new future and give you a new song and give you new words and give you new wisdom and give you a new hope and a calling. I know what I'm talking about. I was probably the least of the least of the least of the least of, of the saints of God in my day, but I just believed him. I just believed him. And I got up and I got free by the power of God and started to do things I, I could never do and know things I could never know, and go places I could never go, all by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, Pastor Tim said on Sunday morning, we have to learn now to walk in the Spirit. And if we walk in the Spirit, then the flesh has no power over us anymore. Then you're not going to sit on your couch addicted to drugs anymore. You're, just, you're going to get up and begin to walk with God, and you're going to be another testimony of, of grace. To Him, what? Be glory in all ages forever and ever. There's something has got to get into your heart tonight that just says, I'm going for this. When I first came to Christ, I said to my, my wife, who is now Pastor Teresa, I said, if, if this is real, I want the whole package. And if it's not, I want none of it. And so that's, that's been my heart from the first day I came to Christ. And I was really, really disadvantaged. If, if you don't believe me, ask my wife. She'll tell you all about it. She knows. I was really, really far down the, the wrong highway. But I heard his voice, and I started reading his promises, and I just was simple enough to believe it and started walking towards that voice that was calling me. And it's been a wonderful life. It's been a, a, a wonderful life. I've been enabled by God to do things that I could never have done. And see, the Lord sets people like me and others. There's many others like me. He just sets us in front of you to say, it can be yours. This is not some pie in the sky. Theology is not attainable. This is for you. If you will just open your heart and start believing that this is what God wants to do for you. And so, Father, tonight, in Jesus' name, I ask you, Lord, to raise up your church. I ask you, Father, in Jesus' name, to be God again in this generation. Oh, Lord, for too long we have We've rested on certificates and natural abilities, oh God, when all you've ever wanted was just a heart that says, here am I, Lord, send me. You've just waited for that cry from the side of the road. You've, you've waited for that person to crawl through the crowd and just touch you. I pray tonight, Lord Jesus Christ, that people would be raised up all over this world that are part of this prayer meeting tonight. They would receive the giftings of the Holy Spirit and become the people of God that you long for them to be. The worship team is going to come, and they're going to lead us in one song. And while they do, I want you to prepare for communion. Pastor Tim is going to return and lead us in communion tonight. Just get, a, get some juice of any kind. If you haven't got juice, get, it, get some water, and get some bread or cracker, or anything like that. These are just emblems, just symbols of, of what we're about to do. You see, when you partake of communion tonight, you are saying... You died to give me a relationship with God. Jesus, 
I accept that. Accept that you are willing to forgive my sin. And this bread represents every promise you've ever made to me. And Peter the Apostle said, by these promises, I become a partaker of this new life that's mine in Christ. And so I'm not going to sit on the sidelines anymore, and I'm not going to let the communion just be a, a, a meaningless exercise in my church. Oh, no. Oh, no. I'm going with God. Get up tonight. Just get up and go with God. Don't sit on the sidelines any longer. Press through the crowd. And don't worry about what other people are going to say. Just go with God. So you get ready. And after this song, we're going to have communion together. God bless you tonight.